It's the Law of FOHO podcast, providing a combination of serious discussion of political, cultural, and social issues, along with witty and satirical humor, connecting listeners with the news they need to know in a fast-moving format. The son of immigrants and the new voice for conservative millennials, Robert FOHO blends his passion for conservatism with his view that America is the greatest country on earth and our last best hope. Now, here's Robert. Greetings, folks. Welcome to the Law of FOHO podcast. I am your host, Robert FOHO. That's FOHO with a soft J. I wanted to dive into this Elon Musk story that's been percolating the last couple of weeks because I find it incredibly fascinating and incredibly interesting. It has all the hallmarks of a famous 1980s movie called Wall Street, and it's a classic scenario that I learned about in law school. In, for anyone going to law school, there is a class you need to take called corporations or something along those lines where you learn about corporations, corporate structure, and the law that governs corporations. And this is a popular topic that is addressed and taught in those classes. So unless you've been hiding under a rock, Musk is he's a South African born, but he's an American entrepreneur and a businessman. He founded X.com in 1999, which later on became PayPal through an acquisition. He then founded SpaceX in 2002 and Tesla Motors in 2003. He became a multimillionaire in his late 20s when he sold a startup company called Zip2 to a division of Compact Computers. That's he used the, the the proceeds from that sale to start and found X.com, which is, again, what later became PayPal. On March 24th, Musk posted on Twitter and asked his followers whether they thought Twitter adhered to the principle of free speech, and he followed that up by saying, Quote, the consequences of this poll will be important. Please vote carefully. And that attracted a lot of attention. People have been championing his his support for free speech and, and transparency since that post. Then on the morning of April 4th, Musk submitted a regulatory filing to the Securities and Exchange Commission that noted his purchase of stock in Twitter. He purchased 73 million, let me see if I get this right, 73,486,938 shares of Twitter's common stock. Apparently that had happened on March 14th. So he would have paid around $33 a share or $2.4 billion. And that gave him a 9.2% stake in the company, making him the company's largest shareholder. As news of the filing broke, um, many figures in the tech industry speculated about whether and to what extent he could change the company as someone who had filed as a passive investor. He doesn't 
have any control over the company as a passive investor, despite the fact he's the company's largest shareholder. All of this reminds me of a classic 1980s movie called Wall Street. Wall Street is synonymous with that famous speech that Michael Douglas's character, Gordon Gecko gives at a shareholders meeting. Oscar for that performance. That's Michael Douglas, of course, and it was well-deserved. That's a great speech, and it has resonating significance with this Elon Musk story. So in the movie Wall Street, what happens is Bud Fox, who's played by Charlie Sheen, he's a stockbroker, he's full of ambition, and he's doing whatever he can to make his way to the top. Think um, Jordan Belfort in, uh, in Wolf of Wall Street. So he admires, he comes across, and he, and he develops an admiration for Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, who is a, an unsparing corporate raider. So what is a corporate raider? A corporate raider is an investor who buys a large number of shares in a corporation whose assets appear to be undervalued. The company itself uh, is deemed to be undervalued. The large purchase of shares then gives that corporate raider significant voting rights, which he or she could then use to push changes in the company's leadership and management. So if this doesn't sound familiar yet, I'm going to connect the dots in just a couple of minutes. The primary motive behind a corporate raider is obviously to generate a return on on their investment. So they scout for companies that are deemed undervalued. They identify uh, an undervalued company through uh, a number of, of, of mechanisms, and this is probably beyond the scope of this conversation, but it normally requires a deep understanding of the company's current financial position, the management in the company, the management's competence, uh, the company's business model, and its future business prospects. They usually use uh, a stock screener to look for companies that are they're trading at low valuation multiples compared to its peers. So, for example, an investor can use a stock screener to identify companies that are trading at a lower price-to-book multiple or enterprise value to EBITDA multiple to peers and so on and so forth. So if all else is equal, if the valuation multiples of the company in question are lower than its peers, it's considered to be undervalued. At that point, the corporate raider will then dive into the company and analyze its business and its financial statements and and so on and so forth, and, and determine whether that low valuation is justified. If the raider believes the company is undervalued, he will then begin what's called the raid process, and the most common method that raiders use to acquire an undervalued company is by purchasing shares on the open market, which is what Elon Musk did. And then upon acquiring the company, 
the corporate raider will then attempt to increase the value of the company by replacing uh, management, divesting assets, or positioning the, com- the, the, the business for a sale or a merger. Corporate raiders make capital markets more efficient. Let me repeat that. Corporate raiders are, according to experts, thought to make capital markets more efficient because they identify underperforming companies and improve them. So they're commonly referred to as a necessary evil to counterbalance underperforming companies. They're, they're obviously doing it for profit, but that generates a benefit in the market because you've taken a flailing company and improved it. In the movie Wall Street, Charlie Sheen's character, Bud Fox, he entices Gecko into mentoring him by providing him with certain insider information, which is connected to his father's airline company. His father, who's played by his father in real life, Martin Sheen, works for an airline company. And uh, Bud Fox acquires some insider information that his father gives him. He gives it to Gecko and helps Gecko make some insider trades and, and profit from them. And this leads to a series of events where Fox becomes embroiled in a whole bunch of schemes. And these schemes, along with Gecko, threaten the livelihood of his father, of Charlie Sheen's father in the movie. And the reason I'm talking about this movie, at one point in the movie, Bud pitches a new idea to Gecko, and that is to buy Blue Star Airlines that's his father's company, and expand the company with Bud as president and then using savings achieved by certain union concessions and uh, a pension that was operated by the company but was apparently overfunded. But soon afterward, Bud learns that Gecko plans to, in fact, take over the company and dissolve it and sell off assets and and uh, and then access the cash and the pension fund, which is obviously going to leave Everybody uh, unemployed, including his father. But that scheme whereby Bud convinces Gecko to buy the company, that is a hostile takeover. In the 1980s, there were prominent American businessmen that did this sort of thing. One of the most famous ones is a guy by the name of Carl Icahn, who developed a reputation for being a corporate raider through his hostile takeover of Transworld Airlines in 1985. Carl performed a hostile takeover of the airline, sold the company's assets, to, and then generated a substantial return on his investment. This brings us back to Elon Musk. After filing his investment, Musk caused a lot of commotion online when he began tweeting to his followers various ideas and criticisms of Twitter. So, for example, uh, one of his tweets was the question, do you want an edit button, which referred to a long-time feature that Twitter users have been requesting. And he seemed to signal that he was interested in making that change to the platform and many other changes. Then last week, uh, I believe this was on Tuesday, the CEO of the company announced in a statement on Twitter that Musk had been given a seat on the board of directors. He wrote, through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it became clear to us that he would bring great value to our board. 
He's both a passionate believer and intense critic of the service, which is exactly what we need. Musk responded to that statement by saying, quote, looking forward to working with Parag, that's the, uh, Parag Agrawal is the CEO of the company. Looking forward to working with Parag and Twitter board to make significant improvements to Twitter in coming months, exclamation point. Later in the day, Musk submitted another filing to the SEC indicating that he would be taking a more active role as an investor and that he had agreed not to purchase more than 14.9% of the company. So this is a limitation that would be, would be imposed if Musk joined the board. Obviously, the more shares he owns, the easier it would be for him to potentially orchestrate the direction of the company. But by limiting the number of shares he could he could purchase, that limitation would be imposed. The same day, uh, Twitter board members, including co-founder Jack Dorsey, tweeted their congratulations to Musk. Dorsey, for example, he wrote, quote, I'm really happy Elon is joining the, com- the Twitter board. He cares deeply about our world and Twitter's role in it. Then on Saturday... Musk returned to his personal Twitter account with some more interesting tweets. For example, he tweeted, quote, is Twitter dying? And he listed the 10 most followed Twitter users. And then he wrote, quote, most of these top accounts tweet rarely and post very little content. Among that list were Barack Obama, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga. Then he took aim at the offerings in Twitter's new subscription service, Twitter Blue. That's a a service that costs $3 a month. And he said that he turned off, he had turned off the Twitter Blue feature, which is, it's a feature that stops a tweet from being sent immediately. And it gives you 20 seconds to reread it and reconsider whether you want to post it and make edits to it. He suggested that Twitter Blue service should instead give its subscribers a verified checkmark, which currently requires that a person working at Twitter's verified team to approve. And he, Musk said that that should be different from public from public figure official account verification checkmarks. His tweet specifically said, quote, price should probably be approximately $2 a month, but paid 12 months up front and account, should, account doesn't get checkmark for 60 days, open parentheses, watch for CC chargebacks, close parentheses, and suspended with no refund if used for scam slash spam. So his idea would reduce the number of fake accounts and bots. He then wrote, quote, so now subtract crypto scam accounts that Twitter shows as real people in everyone's feed. That was a reply to another user. Then Musk tweeted that Twitter's headquarters in San Francisco should be turned into a shelter for people experiencing homelessness. Quote, since no one shows up anyway. He also jokingly suggested that Twitter remove the letter W from its company to become Titter. <laughs> he even ran another poll to gauge interest on that. So he seems to believe the company is undervalued to some extent. If the top accounts aren't tweeting that much, if Twitter lacks certain features like an edit button that other social media platforms like Facebook have, and if it's censoring information, which is what Musk was concerned about with his March 24th tweet, if he's raising these these issues, he probably believes the company's undervalued. And he's probably right. Twitter, as of right now, today's April 13th, it's sitting at $45 a share. It went up after Musk bought his shares. Before that, it was at $33 a share on March 14th. That's when he bought the shares. Uh, it's been steadily declining. Six months ago, 
the stock price was peaking around $64 a share. That was in November. It was hovering around $42 a share in early January. That's when Robert Malone was banned. Malone is a physician and a biochemist. He invented mRNA technology, which is technology behind the COVID vaccines, and he has been heavily critical of the use of those vaccines. Twitter then fell another 9 to $10 a share after he was banned. So the company appears to be undervalued, and Musk, and I'm obviously not undertaking any of the analysis that's required to officially determine whether the company's undervalued, but it, it seems to be, and Musk appears to know that. Now, here's the next inter- interesting news tidbit that came out earlier this week. On Sunday, Agrawal, the company's CEO, announced in a statement on Twitter that Musk would not be joining the board. He wrote that it was Musk's decision. Quote, we also believe that having Elon as a fiduciary of the company where he, like all board members, has to act in the best interests of the company and all our shareholders was the best path forward, Agrawal, Agrawal wrote. He also wrote that his announcement on Tuesday had been, quote, contingent on a background check and formal acceptance, end quote, and that Musk was to have been officially appointed on Saturday morning. Quote, Elon shared that same morning that he will no longer be joining the board, end quote. And he also tweeted, I believe this is for the best. Agrawal and the other Twitter board members then reversed their initial approval of Musk's appointment sometime after Musk tweeted criticizing the company. And after Agrawal announced that Musk would no longer sit on the board, Musk (laughs) tweeted and then later deleted a giggling emoji. That wasn't the only tweet that seemed to refer to or directly criticize Twitter that Musk had deleted. He also deleted several critical tweets he had posted since he made the April 4th SEC filing, including several about Twitter Blue. Musk also deleted a tweet that showed a picture of him smoking marijuana on Joe Rogan's podcast with the caption, quote, Twitter's next board meeting is going to be lit, end quote. Then... In a filing submitted this past Monday, just two days ago, Musk indicated that he could buy more shares of Twitter following his decision not to join the board. The filing read, quote, depending on the factors discussed herein, the reporting person may from time to time acquire additional shares of common stock and or retained and or sell all or a portion of the shares of common stock held by the reporting person in the open market or in privately negotiated transactions, the filing reads. The possibility, this possibility that you could buy more shares creates a more hostile relationship between Twitter and Musk, according to analysts who spoke about this on Monday on CNBC and and elsewhere. That's the key word here, hostile. Could Musk be planning a hostile takeover of Twitter, like Michael Douglas's character tried to do with the airline company and Wall Street. A hostile takeover is a purchase of a large number of shares of a company that goes against the wishes of the company's board of directors. Now, with a fortune of $250 billion, it might seem like there's not much standing between Musk and a full takeover of, of, of Twitter. 
if that's what he wants, and he's hinted before that he could do that or he might want to do that, he could certainly do it. But public companies like Twitter, they have a lot of small print in their corporate bylaws. They could have mechanisms in place that could stop Musk from building up his position and making a hostile bid. But here's a look at what he could do now that he's not on the board of directors. The first thing he could do is buy more shares of stock in the company. He could continue buying shares at market prices, slowly build up his position until he, either alone or with either a current shareholder or a co-investor, until he holds enough of the stock to control voting power. There's no way to do this secretly because he's registered with the regulators as a major shareholder, so he's going to have to submit a new filing every time he buys or sells stock. If he pursues this avenue, it it will give Twitter, Twitter plenty of opportunity to enact something called a poison pill, which makes it harder for a shareholder to acquire a huge stake in the company without the board of directors' support. Poison pills are common among companies that come under fire from investors who adopt activist positions or in these hostile takeover situations. And Twitter's directors could do it pretty quickly. A poison pill basically allows shareholders to buy more shares at a discount to the current market price. It's likely that Twitter will wait to see what Musk's next move is before making a decision to implement a poison pill. One of the things, obviously, they could do is try and keep relations with him cordial for as long as possible. The second thing that Musk could do is make what's called a tender offer. He could decide to buy shares from Twitter's other investors and offer them a premium to where the stock is trading right now. This would obviously be an expensive option, seeing as Twitter is already up 20% since before Musk's uh, purchase was revealed. But it's still trading at $20 a share off from its stock price six months ago. So while it may be a premium, it could also be a bargain. Who knows? Then again, he's not he's not short on cash. Tender offers usually come with a requirement that a certain percentage of shareholders, for example, 50%, give up their shares for sale. So the higher the offer, the better the chances of success. That's just basic economics. Unlike many big tech companies, Twitter doesn't have what's called a dual class share structure. So there are plenty of institutional investors that have huge stakes in Twitter um, that are big enough to move the needle if Musk attempts this option. The third thing that Musk could do is find uh, a a partner, and this would likely be a private equity firm. For example, Silver Lake, uh, that's a private equity firm. They invested $1 billion in the company in 2020, and one of its CEOs sits on Twitter's board of directors. There are many other private equity firms out there, and a real takeover of Twitter would likely require a lot of funding and many bankers and lawyers to get this done. Musk has many different relationships through his through Tesla and SpaceX, so he could certainly uh, 
assemble the team of necessary professionals to get this done or to at least get it moving. There are a number of possibilities, but the bottom line is if he does take over the company, buy up shares and improve it and then sell it or sell some of his shares, he's going to make a ton of money doing it. Now, people are praising him right now as some sort of benevolent free speech advocate. And I think it's pretty funny that that's happening because but for the profit potential of this, I don't think Musk would be doing that. I don't think Musk would have any interest in doing this. In this process, he will have obviously improved the company if he acquires enough shares and he acquires enough voting power and he implements the changes that he has been mentioning. If he's able to stop the nonsense where Twitter's centering accounts for spreading misinformation, that's obviously going to have a tremendously positive impact on society. You'll recall that Twitter prevented the New York Post article that broke the Hunter Biden laptop story in October 2020 from being shared. If you eliminate stuff like that, if you eliminate those bullshit shenanigans, that's a good thing. But if you think that Musk is doing this out of the pure goodness of his heart, you're probably wrong. There is a clear incentive here to make money. If he takes over this company and implements these changes, I think there is no question the stock price of the company is going to go up dramatically, and he's going to earn a tidy profit. But without that monetary incentive, I doubt he does this at all. So keep that in mind. And it goes back to Michael Douglas's quote in Wall Street, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. The incentive to make money drives this economy, and it's a good thing. It's efficient, and it improves circumstances, and this is a classic example of that concept. Thank you for listening to the Law of FOHO podcast. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Law of FOHO, if you haven't already. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is Law of FOHO. Also, show us some love by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, and stay tuned for next time where we will continue to cover the topics from today and others as the news develops.